And welcome everybody who's joining us in online. How are y'all doing today? Good, good, good. Hey, have you ever had one of those moments in life where something good happened, like good, good happened? And the only way you could explain this good thing that happened was to just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, hey, it's all about who you know. You ever had one of those moments happen? Like you get a speeding ticket and you know somebody and you get out of it. Or your air conditioner goes down and, and you know a dude who works on air conditioning, which is a great friend to have because it's only a matter of time. Um, all right. So it, you know that guy and you, and you call the air conditioning place and you're like, you're number 43 in line. And you're like, no, I'm going to die of heat stroke. And, and you just happen to know a guy and he comes and he fixes it and you're good to go. Or you miss a flight and you happen to know somebody who works at Delta and you get on the right next one and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, hey, it's all about who you know, Right. Now, some of you, you're like, I cannot relate to that at all. But you know that guy who does, right? You know that person and you have a relationship with them. And it just seems like they're the person that just knows everybody, right? You know this guy. They're coming to your mind right now. And it always seems like they're getting the really good discount. They're getting to go to the front of the line. They're getting out of speeding tickets. They're getting invited to go on really cool vacations. And they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, it's all about who you know. And we think, man, if I just knew some more people, life would be better. But... What we're going to find out today is that as we dive into this passage that we're going to get into in Ephesians, that Paul actually gives us a little bit of bad news and a little bit of good news. The bad news is this notion that life is all about who you know is actually true. That's the truth. But it's not based off of, and this is the good news, it's not based off of knowing people who can get us on airline to, or on planes when we miss them. It's not based on getting people who can get us out of tickets. It's actually based on knowing a God who loves us and would call us a son or a daughter. Knowing is the issue. And it's all about who you know. But the question is, do you know God? So that's what we're gonna dive into today. And I'm gonna invite you to pray with me as we get going. Jesus we thank you that you're not a God who hides in secret, but you're a God of revelation. You reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be who you said you were, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I invite you to allow your people to not be people who just come in and are looking for a feeling, but that we would be people who are looking to learn, looking to see and to feel things that lead to a knowledge that changes us forever. You told us that you could transform our minds. And so we ask that you would do that. Jesus, many of us wish that we knew people who could get us out of what we're in or get us into something new. But Jesus, today we show up and we long to show us more of who you are. We long to know you, not necessarily for you to do something for us, not so that we can get out of what we've gotten into, not so that we can feel better about ourselves or feel less guilt or shame. Jesus, we come to you today longing for you to help us know you better. And I believe, Jesus, as crazy as it may seem, that when we know you for the God you really are. Father God, when we know you for the Father you really are. Spirit, when we know you for the guide and help that you really are, that that, that would change everything. In your name, amen. So our passage for today, as we journey through the book of Ephesians, is Ephesians 1. We're gonna be in verses 15 through 17. So if you're a little bit new to MCC, what we've been doing for the last few weeks is we are going to go kind of word by word, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. We're just gonna kind of take this letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus, probably two or 2,000 years ago, and allow that to apply to our lives here today. The reality is we have so much in common with this church, and we're gonna unpack what he said to them and how it applies to us. So if you got a Bible, Ephesians 1, we're gonna be verses 15 through 17. I'm gonna read it to you 
And then we're going to start unpacking these three verses. As you're turning there, let me kind of set up a little bit of the context. What Paul has done in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1 is he has just kind of opened up with this giant blessing. This this giant praise to God. He has basically explained the gospel. He has taken all of the things that God has done, that that God has chosen us and predestined us from the beginning of time to be chosen as his sons and daughters, adopted, redeemed, all those things. He kind of unpacks what is the gospel, the mystery of God's will. And he just lays that on this just big praise grenade that just blows up in verses three through 14. Now, Paul finally puts a period at the end of the sentence. If you're actually reading in the Greek, Paul, that whole entire thing, verses three through 14, there's not a period in there in the original language. Paul finally decides to use that, puts a period there, and then transitions from praise to prayer. And what we're gonna pick up on on the verses we're gonna read today is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. This is what he says, verse 15. For this reason, which is all those things that he just said in verses three through 14. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. It's good stuff. So let's unpack this one verse at a time. Let's go to verse 15. It says, for this reason, this is Paul talking here. And again, that's the gospel. I, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. First of all, let's re- remember what's kind of going on here and put this in the context. So Paul, kind of how all this church in Ephesus thing started is Paul said, hey, you know what? I feel like God has called me to do. He knocked me off my donkey, changed my life miraculously. And then God called Paul to go and be the minister, the pastor to all the Gentiles. And that's just anybody who's not a Jew in this whole Mediterranean area. Paul gets on a boat and starts going to spread the gospel to these different cities. One of the first ones he goes to is this place called Ephesus. Ephesus, imagine Seattle. It's a port city. It's a center of learning. It's probably way more liberal. It's kind of anything goes kind of place. It's a place where you have to have money to live here. And Paul's planning his church here in the city that probably would have some things in common with a modern day Seattle. Now, the good news is Paul is there. He plants the church, tells them the things about the gospel, tells them the things about Jesus. And then he goes on to the next city and leaves leaders there to continue on the church and its mission. All right. Now, the great news is he's heard that they've actually started to put things in practice, which as a pastor, like there's nothing better you can do than actually do what God tells you to do. And so he's heard that I've heard about your faith, which I just wanna pause right there at that point of I have heard about your faith and ask you a few questions. The first question I'll ask you is this. Go to the next slide. There you go. Do you have a faith in the Lord Jesus? All right, so right off the bat, Paul goes, hey, I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, which we as readers of this book, we've just kind of kind of stopped there and go, hey, do you have faith? in the Lord Jesus. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to ask on a Sunday at church, but like, we've got to start there. And the reason I think we really have to start there explicitly for our context is we're a church in America in the South. And that may not seem as risky as you think it is, but it's actually pretty risky. Because being a part of a church in the South, in this great country that is America, we're 
kind of in danger of misinterpreting what this question is really asking. See, the question is, do you actually have faith in Jesus as Lord? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, most of us, when we answer that question, we're actually in danger of answering this question, which is, do you have faith in Christianity? And I'm here to tell you that there is a grave difference in having faith in Christianity and having faith in Christ. And many people are in danger of maybe believing that I have faith in Jesus and I have faith in Christ, but when actually you just have faith in Christianity, faith in this method of getting to heaven, getting to a better afterlife, this method of moral behavior modification. This is kind of what I have faith in. And I could have chose to be a Buddhist. I could have chose to be Mormon. I could have chose to be a Jehovah's Witness. But the thing that I just chose was this Christianity thing. And you may even be here having a, in your mind made that decision. But you, I'm, I'm telling you, you could make that decision and still not have faith in Christ. So do you have faith in the Son of God? who gave his life for you and exchanged life so that you would say, I am now dead to my old life of sin. I have died to myself. I am taking up my cross. You are my Lord and my savior. And my faith is in you displayed by what I believe about you with my mind and how I've surrendered to you with my life. And I don't think it's any crazy coincidence that when Paul says this, he says to the Lord Jesus, the Lord. Lordship is saying your will over mine. You're not just the person who I acknowledge can save me, but you're the person who I acknowledge as the one who dictates my every breath, my every action, my every dollar spent. It is all in and through you because you are the Lord of my life. And so if that's where you're at, then it kind of goes to another question. If you really have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, do you have a faith like these Ephesians? Do you have a faith worth talking about? Would anyone want to hear about your faith? I read this and I was like, man, Trent, do you? That's a, that, I mean, in my journals, I'm writing through this this week. I'm going, do I have a faith worth talking about in a good way? Like, I'm sure there's probably some bad things people could talk about, but that's not what I'm talking about. And I found myself asking myself that personal question. Do I have a faith worth talking about? And then I, I put it to you guys and I would ask you the same question, friend. Do you have a faith we're talking about? And then I think about us as a church, like as a whole body of Christ. Do we? Is McDonough Christian a place, a body of believers that have a faith we're talking about to where news could spread to wherever somebody else was of, hey, did you hear what's going on in McDonough? Did you hear what was happening there? Did you, did you, did you see what they signed up for? Did you see what they're doing? Do you have a faith worth talking about? He goes on in verse 15. And he says, for this reason, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't stop there. And what he does is he connects two things that sometimes we can separate. He says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Now, a lot of times we disconnect these two things, but Paul, and he's gonna show this through other passages, these two things are inextricably connected in the gospel, that our faith in Jesus is made visible and made apparent by our love for God's people. There's a couple of verses that are in other books of the Bible that I wanna show you on this. The first one I want you to see is here in 1 John 3, 1. This is what it says in 1 John 3, uh, 1, uh, 14. This is Jesus talking, so big deal. It says, we know that we have passed 
from death to life, which don't even start reading yet. Let me just pause right there. Do you know how many times I get that, that question? Hey, how do I know I'm saved? Just how do I know? How do I know? Wouldn't we all want to know? How do, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I've passed from death to life and that I'm not just going to die and go to hell, that I'm going to die and go into life, eternal life with God the Father? Well, Jesus actually told us very clearly how you could know that. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Could it really be that simple? Could it really be that simple? How do I know I'm saved? Do you love other people? Do you, do you sacrificially care for people? Do you think happy thoughts about people who don't do you good? Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to load the dishwasher the way that she likes it to be loaded? Do you really, don't laugh. Do you really, do you really love each other? Now, the, the word that, um, the word that Paul is using right there is, is the word when he says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for each other. The word for each other is not, when you, when you read that in Ephesians, don't think he's talking about the whole entire world. He's actually not. He's actually talking about the way you love. And the, and the Greek word there is hagios, which means the holy one or the saints. Some of your translations may even say saints right there. He's saying, I've heard what the news that has gotten out, the great gossip has been about your faith and your faith has been made visible by the way you're loving each other, by the way you're caring for each other, by the way you're doing things and giving things and talking about people in the right way now and sacrificially getting after this new life that is life as a Christian. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's kind of what I was about from the very beginning. And you'll know that you've passed from death to life by the way you love each other. And then he kind of throws the opposite side of the coin, which is, I love how Jesus teaches. He says, and anyone who does not love remains in death. So you may think you've, I've, I've been saved and I'm raised to life. If you're not loving people, you remain in death. And that's the hard words from the mouth of our loving savior. Another passage, this is now Paul speaking here. I'll show you this next one. This is him encouraging Timothy, who is one of his younger protégés, who is gonna go out and continue planting churches all throughout the Mediterranean after Paul was even gone. And he's explaining to Timothy, this, this young protégé pastor, what their whole purpose in doing what they do is. And he says, the aim of our charge is love that is issued from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And again, these two are extricably connected. They cannot be separated. And what is happening here in this verse is actually Paul is kind of running the chain backwards. He's saying, this is where it all starts. We have to have this sincere faith. How do you know that that faith is sincere? It's got a good conscience. It's not just this outward thing pretending to be something. It's got a good, clear conscience. A good, clear conscience is, is, is that moment when, here's how you know you have a good conscience. When somebody calls you or somebody texts you and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something, you don't go, oh crap. What? <laughs> a good conscience, somebody sends you that message and you're like, oh, I wonder what they wanna talk about. Cool, can't wait. That's a good conscience. So he says, we got a clear faith. We got a sincere faith. It comes from a good conscience. How do we know we got a good conscience? Well, we got a pure heart. How do we know that the heart is pure? It's love. That's our aim. That's our charge. That's what we're all about. One last verse I wanna show you that oftentimes gets read at weddings, but it's not just for weddings. It's for every single day of life is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, Paul talking here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, which again, it's like, oh man, I have the faith to be able to do this, to speak in tongues. That's awesome. Now, some of you grew up in a background where that was like, you weren't saved unless you did that. Well, Paul is getting ready to say, 
essentially, so what? If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I can, if I can discern all these things, I can speak of angel tongues. If I can, you come in and you speak Spanish and I don't speak Spanish, but I can present the gospel to you. And I just now learned Spanish because the Holy Spirit gave that to me, but I don't really love you. He's saying, your noise goes on to say, and if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, which is his way of saying, I can interpret everything in Revelation. I can tell you what the war in Russia means and I can tell you about all these things that are coming on and everything that's going on here. I can tell you all these details and know exactly what it means. And I can read through Revelations and know what a dra- I know what dragons are. I know, like I know what the seven seals are really mean about. I can tell you all these things and you come and you get it all right. He's saying, you can have all that. And if you have faith that can even pick up a mountain and take it from here to there, but you don't have love, he says, I am nothing. Nothing. Not I did nothing. He says, I am nothing. I am nothing. And that's uh, it's kind of a big deal. And so the question for us is, is do we have love? And again, I'll, I'll, for the sake of, our talk here and staying in Ephesians, what Paul is talking about is faith in Jesus and love for the saints, love for the church. I totally feel like God has called us to love everybody. He's totally called us to love and seek and, and go out and reach the lost people. But let's just stay here for a second. If the thing that he wants to hear about, the thing that he's praising God for is the faith that they have displayed by the way they love each other. The question becomes now for us in our context is how do we love each other? How do we love the saints? Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Do you love the saints? Because what Paul is saying here is that is where you will find the evidence to whether or not your faith is sincere or not which should make us all kind of turn our radars up and maybe ask the question, what does it look like to love the church? And I'm glad you asked. The first thing I would say, what does it look like to love the church? Same thing it looks like to love anybody is you show up. You're there. Like you, you actually don't just do it when it's convenient. You, you do it out of this compulsion, not of, oh, I have to, but of, I have to, like I cannot not go, which I promised the first service I would tell you this. One of the things I love about the church, and there's some of you in this service as well, so I, I, I will give you the praise that I hopefully can give you. One of the things I love about the church, and some of you need to come to first service every now and then so you can see this happen. One of the things I absolutely love about this church, it fires me up as a millennial pastor, is when I see the older generations, the gray-haired generations, or the dyed-haired generations, or the no-hair generations, when I see them come into church, and again, if you come around here often, especially if you come to first service, you'll see this, when I see walkers in this church, when, when I see oxygen tanks being wheeled in to our church, when I see women being pushed by their elderly husbands in wheelchairs into this church, it fires me up because I see a generation who has found gold. They're not showing up to hear good songs. They actually, for most of them, I'm just gonna, let's just be honest. They don't really like the music, all right? They, they, look, look, okay, let's be honest, okay? It's just church, we gotta be honest. They're not crazy about the music, they want hymns, all right? Let's just all be honest. 
But what they have found is the beauty in showing up to know that I am a part of something. They love being able to see your little girls and your little boys run up from here because they know they're part of a faith that's gonna carry on to the next generation. And they show up with oxygen tanks, with wheelchairs and with walkers every week consistently. And if you're part of a younger generation down, let their faith inspire and encourage you, please. Because again, I'm talking to my generation here. We look for every excuse to not show up. Oh, I, I, I don't know. You pick your excuse. I stayed up late watching the ball game. Uh, I have a booger in my nose. I, I don't know. We, we got so many things that we would do. And again, like, again, uh, I, will, I will take your excuse and I will raise the oxygen tank. I will take your excuse and I'll raise the wheelchair. And again, I'm not trying to compare faith here. What I'm trying to tell you is they found something that I hope you find too that there is, there is a, a love for this and the God who created this and loves this and put this here that they have found. And they know the one of the ways I love this place is I continue to show up for it because I believe in the God who made all this possible. Another way that we do this is we, we serve. How do I love the church? I serve the church. I serve the people at the church and the church in Ephesus. Remember, there are people coming out of all sorts of wicked, crazy lifestyles. Maybe you, don't, maybe you didn't catch this. If you don't know kind of what's going on in Ephesians, there are no second generation Christians. All right, so nobody's growing. When Paul's writing this letter, you know what nobody's doing? No, none of the kids are growing up singing Father Abraham. Like nobody's singing those songs at the church in Ephesus, okay? No second generation Christians. Everybody who's a Christian in Ephesus is your age, okay? So you know what they have? Baggage like yours. Nobody grew up in the Christian home when they never taste alcohol and they're still a virgin. Everybody was not. Everybody had already tasted alcohol. Nobody was a virgin. That was the church in Ephesus. And Paul comes to those people who some of had, had just left jobs because they worked in industries that now they are finding out are sinful. And Paul says, hey, if we're gonna be a church, that means that that person who's without a job and can't provide for that family, that fellow who just left his job making uh, silver figurines to the goddess uh, Diana, uh, your family's gonna have to take that guy in and help him until he finds a new job. So they served, they served each other. And on top of that, I believe they sacrificially gave to each other. They sacrificially gave to this church and this mission that they were doing there so that they could have the meals, so that they gather together, so that they could hear the apostles teaching, so that they could do these things. They sacrificially gave. And so what does it look like to, to love the church even today? I believe it's showing up. I believe it's serving and I believe it's sacrificially giving. And that's giving of, of your treasure for sure. But also that's giving of your time. That's giving of your talent. That's giving out of the gifts that God has given you to say, I'm a part of something. And I'm gonna continue to show up because I know that it's not the same when I'm not here. That's what loving the church looks like. And Paul, I love how he does this. He just connects your faith to your love for the church. And I hope you see that connection in living color. One of the questions that I wanted us to, to lean into and ask each other, you know, Paul says, hey, you're, you're kind of being this church, Ephesus, and you're getting known for your faith and the way you love each other. And I found myself as I was walking through that this week, getting ready to talk to you guys, going, what will we be known for? What would the church of McDonough Christian be known for? Would be a church that is known for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And will we be a church that is known for our faith displayed by how we love each other? So I wanna invite us in a prayer. We'll call this kind of like a, 
uh, intermission, halftime prayer. I know we don't usually do that in the middle of messages, but I'm gonna invite you to do that with me here. We're gonna pray a very simple prayer that goes like this. We're gonna start out by praying it for us as a whole. And then I want you to pray it for you as an individual. And it goes like this, Father God, help us to be known for our faith in Christ and our love for people. All we're doing is just praying the passage. But we're gonna ask that God that God would help us so that the world, when they look in at a church, they see something different. They see, they see what I see from up here. You guys can't see it, but I see, I, see, I see white, black, brown, and everything in between from my eyes right here. And I love that about this church. And the world needs to know that that is actually possible. And that only happens when we love each other the right way. And that only happens when we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're gonna ask him to help us, okay? So I'm gonna invite you to uh, repeat this prayer after me if you'd be bold enough to do that. Father God, help us to be known for our faith in Christ and our love for people. Father God, help me to be known for my faith in Christ and my love for people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse 16. As Paul goes on, talks about, I've heard about your faith, I've heard about your love for other people. And then this is, this is such a flyover verse that you can miss the meat in this. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. To which we're just like, okay, cool. And I'll get to the part that's theological. Well, there's a lot in there, okay? And first of all, you gotta remember where Paul is at right now. Okay, so some of you know the context here. Where's Paul writing this book for, to the church in Ephesians from? Where's he writing this from? Prison, jail. Okay, now again, I don't know about what you would do if you were in jail, but it wouldn't be writing these flowery things to folks, would it? Like, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Like, I don't know what you're writing from jail, but I'm not writing those things. I'm like, somebody come and get me. I don't like it here. And, and see what, what Paul is showing us. And I learned this from Paul and I hope I, hopefully Paul can teach it to you and teach it to me and teach it to us so that we can teach it to this generation. What Paul knew was that praising God was not physically going to get him out of prison. But what Paul did know was that praising God would keep his mind out of prison. See, praising God in those moments, being even though he is in prison, even though he is in a really terrible situation, Paul knew though that I can keep my mind out of prison by praise. And see, there's so many people who we are caught in the prison of a bad relationship. We're caught in the prison of debt. We're caught in the prison of depression or anxiety. And listen, praise is probably not gonna physically get you out of those things. But I'm telling you, praise can actually get your mind from being imprisoned to those things. It may not change your chemical balance. It may not make you completely debt-free, but I'm telling you, praising God through those moments can keep your mind from being bound and captive by an enemy who seeks to destroy you Head first, I'm telling you. And so what this maybe means is next time you're in your Toyota Camry or, or your Ford F-150, praise a little bit more. Maybe in a situation or circumstance that you're not crazy about right now, find something. I guarantee there's something. Begin to praise God. Even if it's for what he was doing, somebody else you might discover the, the beautiful art of self-forgetfulness and beginning to praise God for even what he's doing in a neighbor's life, in a sister-in-law's life, in a stranger's life. It goes on to verse 17. This is where we'll camp out. 
He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit, capital S, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So hold up, wait a minute. We just got the whole Trinity in a verse, which is anytime you see God, Father, Holy Spirit, all show up in the same spot. Like pause, that's something good is happening. Like this is a, this is a big old deal, okay? So God, the Father, the Holy Spirit all show up here. And so Paul is showing them, this is explicitly what he's praying right here. He's saying, I am asking the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, that they may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, why is he playing, praying to the whole Trinity? He said, he's praying that they would know him, that they would know him. Not that they would become pastors, not that they would all start serving in children's ministry, though that would be cool. Not that they all would start giving, though that would be cool. He's saying, I just want you to know him. I want you to know him. And so the way you know him is that you receive this. And this is what he's asking. He's saying, you need to be given. You have to have this spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now let's just camp out on this for a second because remind, remind yourself of the context of what's going on in Ephesians and what Paul is not praying here. They are going through craziness. Again, no, everybody is a first-generation Christian. Everybody is now beginning to start to face potential persecution for being a Christian. Their lives are being thrown upside down because they are Christians. And Paul comes right out of the gate and says, I'm not praying for your health. I'm not praying for you to, uh, I'm not even praying for those of you who used to be prostitutes or those of you who used to go see prostitutes. I'm not even praying for your purity. What I'm praying is that you know God. That's what I'm praying for that you receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that it's not just something you feel in your bones and you come in and you got goosebumps so you know he was there, but you are actually someone who has a mind that perceives with wisdom and revelation the things of God. That's why like anybody who, who would uh, argue with you and say Christianity is just this thing where you have to check your brain at the door, go kick rocks. No, it's not. This is a thinking man's faith. The Bible said that you can be renewed. You'll be transformed by the renewing, not of your feelings, not of your emotions, not even of your heart or your spirit, but you'll be transformed into something totally new by the renewing and the transformation of your mind. See, we get the written word of God to be transformed by the living word of God. And it's a book on purpose. And, and Father, forgive us for creating churches that were built and ran off of feelings. And if we felt it that day, we were good to go. No, do you know it? Do you know him? And this is what he prays for because his heart is that they would know him, that they would see him for the God that he actually is, not just some made up version of it. See, Christianity is not about what I do. It is about who I know, which is I think part of Satan's really big strategy for us and I would call it, it's Satan slash Home Depot faith. That's more saving, more doing. Some of you are getting it. There you go. But that's not, that's not, that's not our faith. But that's kind of, again, again, I'll talk specifically about our Christian culture here in the South. Is the more I do, the more I'm saved. And the more I'm saved equals the more I do. But God, he, he is not an instruction manual to follow. And again, most of us would rather have that. Like fellas, I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. Let me just talk explicitly to men in the room for a second. How many times have you, in your, if the married men in the room, or dating men in the room, anybody, if you're a person who's a male, okay? At some point in your life, whether it's to your mom, your grandma, your wife, fiance, girlfriend, you have said these words, I wish you'd just tell me 
the, the women said it, what to do. <laughs> They've heard it. We already forgot. We tried to block that out. Like we were preconditioned, never say that again. Not even at church out loud if the pastor asked you. All right. No, we, we would say, oh, would you just tell me what to do? Just tell me what to do. What do you want? I can't read your mind. Right? There's just something hardwired into us. It's like, just tell me what to do. But how many of you have ever been at work and your boss has gone like, hey, I want you to do this thing. And at the moment you went and started doing that thing and you were like, oh, this is so stupid. This makes no sense. And then like two weeks later, he came and he told you why you were doing that thing. And you're like, oh, that made so much sense. Why don't you tell us at the beginning? Like God's the same way. He doesn't want you to just be consumed and focus on do this, do this, do this, do this. God is more about you knowing the why than the what that you would do. He wants you to know the why of his character. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know my character. I want you to know what I stand for, what I'm against. I want you to know my love and my passion for you. I want you to know these things about me because then you'll know why I'm asking you to do what I'm asking you to do. And we take that whole thing with Satan's help and we run it in the exact reverse order. And you know what we never get to? Who? We get stuck on what? You just, wow, what am, what am I doing? And then we get beat ourselves up because we didn't do what we thought we needed to do. And we get really prideful because we're doing things that other people aren't doing. We still don't know who, which is why I think Jesus said these incredibly terrifying words to close out his sermon on the Mount. Again, against all uh, homiletics professors' better judgment, uh, Jesus lands his plane at a really scary, dangerous spot and not on a poem about footprints. And Matthew 7, 21 through 23, look what he says. Matthew 7, 21, 23. This is how Jesus chooses to land the greatest sermon ever preached. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Okay. Then the scary part happens, verse 22. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Which hold up, like, I don't know about you guys, but that's a better resume than I have. All right, I don't think I've done, I, don't, I, don't, I can't really go back and recall like a true miracle that I've done. I don't think I've prophesied necessarily a whole bunch of stuff. It may have been a good guess. And I don't think I've cast out demons. I think the kid was just drinking way too much monster energy and not sleeping at night. His mom thought he had a demon. It was a long story. I'll tell you it sometime. Um, I don't really think he had a demon. I just think he wasn't getting enough sleep at night. Um, but I don't think I've done any of these things. And Jesus is telling these people this. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I, I gotta, you gotta stop at a verse like that and go, okay, so it must not be about what I do. It must be about who I know. And, and you may, you, maybe you're, you're a rational person like me and you come to a pastor like this and you start asking yourself a lot of different questions. I can come to a pastor like this and ask them maybe the same questions you do and go, okay, but like, how did they get to do those things though? Those are pretty awesome things. Well, how did they do them? They said they did them in Jesus' name. Well, Jesus' name, like, he's not gonna subtract the power out of his name because you're an idiot, okay? Like, he's gonna leave that power there. That's just who he is. He's still gonna get glory even though you're not doing it for the right reasons. Even though you're pushing your agenda down the field, you're using his name. And so sometimes Jesus will still allow glory to come forward. But the problem with these people is the same problem that can kind of happen with us as people is we become so much about our agenda, our motives and our action that we miss out on Jesus himself. And, and again, pay attention to the, the echo of modern society and what they are telling you to do. It is not know him. It is the exact opposite. It is no you. 
See, Satan's smart enough to not go, like where God in his word would say, eternal life is knowing God. Satan's not gonna come up and flip the script towards him and go, okay, here's what y'all need to know. You need to get to know me, all right? No, first of all, that I did not wear a red jumpsuit and I do not have a tail, all right? Learned all these things about me and then we'll go against God. No, Satan knows you're not stupid enough to do that. Instead, he creates modernism. Instead, he goes, go find yourself, young person. Find you. Sow your wild oats, find you. Instead, he puts billboards up on our interstate right outside of McDonough that say, be true to you. Because if all I'm consumed with is knowing me, you know who I never get to know? I never know God. If I never know God, that equals a life that's never with God. See, last passage I wanna show you is this. John 17, three. Again, Jesus talking here, John 17, three. He says, this is eternal life, which <clears throat> this is not just in heaven on clouds plucking harps. This is the good life. This is the eternal life, friend. If you're in Christ, it doesn't start when you die. It starts today. If you've already put your faith in him, eternal life has started now. So, so the real life, the good life, the blessed life is that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. So the question again becomes, do you know him? Not just know some things about him, not just do some things for him. Do you know him? Like really know him. Like to the place where you're banking everything in your life on that to where your life is grounded on the finished and completed work of Christ, where you're putting your whole future on that, your whole past and its redemption on that, your whole future and right now, this every ever present moment, everything is about the knowledge and the truth that I have. And this Holy Spirit has awakened me to this father who sent his son to me. I know him. Is that your story? And if it's not, and you would say, yeah, I don't know that God like that. I would ask just simply like, what are you putting your hope in instead? Who are you hoping to know that would get you out of a life without him? See, the truth, the really hard truth about life on planet earth is that it's not gonna stop here. The Bible makes it really clear that every single one of us is going to die whether you die as a follower of Christ or not as a follower of Christ, you are gonna be raised from the dead. Every person will be raised from the dead. And after raised from the dead, you will stand face with face before God. And whoever you are in that moment will be who you are forever. Either someone who knows Jesus, followed Jesus and had faith in God or someone who chose instead to know thyself to follow thyself and to be thyself. And for those who choose to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, they'll be entered into a place where they come to a place where they know this God more and more and deeper and deeper. And they spend their eternity knowing him better as a loving, caring father that he actually is. And those who chose to just know themselves instead of knowing God, they spend eternity in a place called hell. And the most painful thing about it is not hellfire or brimstone. The most painful thing about it is you never know the father who you created to love. And so I ask, do, do you not know that we serve a God? We have a God who seeks when we hide. 
from the very beginning, the first story in the Bible, when uh, Adam and Eve sin and sin enters into the world and we're all culpable on that sin. He comes and he walks into the cool of the garden and he says, where are you? And he comes to us today, he comes to you today and says, where are you at? Don't you know that I have made a way for you out of the sin? I've made a way to rescue you out of the sin. And you may say, oh, that's maybe for my grandma or that's for people who are not as intellectual as I am or that's for for other people, But or maybe I'll do that a little bit later on. But my friend, do you know him today? Today. The Bible makes it very clear that there's gonna come a day where we will stand face to face. And let me just be reasonable and rational with you. Most of you in this room, even those who would say, I don't have faith in this Jesus and I do not know this Jesus you speak of, most of you would still say, it is a good idea to have life insurance. And most of you in the room do have life insurance because you know that you're gonna die at some point and you take out a policy that's worth more than you are right now. And even those of you who don't have that in the room, like if I from the church side of things, the elders and I have decided that we are gonna give everybody who's a member at MCC life insurance. We'd have more people in membership class than ever before. Because you'd go, I want in on that. And the reason you want in on that is because you know there's more to this life than this life. And even, even if you in this moment would say, I'm going to die and I'm just pretty sure I'm just gonna become worm dirt when I pass away. I, friend, I'm telling you, it takes more faith to not believe in the God of the Bible than to believe in the God of the Bible. So you can either spend a life trying to know yourself or you can know God. And I've spent the last 10 weeks of my life on Sundays trying to woo you into the love of this father trying to show you his endearing love for you, his care for you, his adoption and redemption of you, to show you his son on a cross and the care that he has for you. But for some of you, that may not work. And so what I may do today is I may try to actually scare you off of the fence that you have been riding for far too long. There's a passage in the book of Revelation It's Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17. And it talks about these people, the rich, the dignitaries, the people who thought they had it all together, who thought they could save themselves. And it talks about their end game, what's coming for them. Revelation 6, 15 through 17 says, then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, they hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? See, what I want you to understand and know is that this wrath that they're afraid of right here, Jesus took this wrath so that you would not have to. But many will say, I'm gonna choose not to put my faith and follow him. And many will choose to say, I will follow my own way. I will do things my own way. I will know him. And Jesus makes it very clear that at the end of their life, they will be hiding in caves, wishing that the rocks would fall on them and kill them, which is baffling because have you not heard the song where it talks about, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. They're asking creation to hide them from the creator. And that's what you'll be doing too if you're not in Christ. See, you cannot be rescued from God. You have to be rescued in God. And what's wild about this story and and anybody who is outside of faith in Christ is that they're asking the rocks to kill them, but the rocks cannot kill them because every one of us will live forever. The question is, where? And the answer to that question 
is determined by who you know. Do you know him? Do you really know him? And if you don't, here's your chance. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for the person who does not know you right now. I pray that even in the whispers of their heart, they would be inviting you in to know you for the God you really are. That as the rest of us who have put our faith in and do know you during this time of communion, I pray that their hearts would begin to turn towards you. That they would make their faith known, that it wouldn't say this hidden thing, that they would take steps towards baptism and surrender that they would know that it's, it's not merely a prayer that saves you, but it's, it's faith that believes, knows, and surrenders to whatever you say to do next that saves us. And I pray that that faith comes to life right now and it leads their feet to follow. Out of a life spent on the vain pursuit of knowing themselves, following themselves, being their own God, into a life of the joyous pursuit of knowing you and being fully known by you. I love you, Jesus. Do the things that only you can do when your gospel is preached. In your name, amen.